It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News. So Manish, looks like there's some unexpected news. A lot of questions being asked. And let's start with the man of the hour, Logan Ryan. You tweeted out something indicating that the Jets might be close to a deal with him. And then Rich Simini said that while they've been talking, maybe there isn't a deal in place. Where do we stand on that as of now? Yeah, uh, on Tuesday morning, uh, I reported that the Jets believe that they're going to sign Logan Ryan. And uh, that hasn't changed. So uh, we'll see uh, if they uh, agree to the the terms of the deal, I, I think there's a, a little bit of a misconception on, you know, formal offers, informal offers, that type of thing. Uh, the point is that the Jets think that they're going to sign uh, Logan Ryan. Uh, we'll see if Joe Douglas can seal the deal, close the deal. And, uh, yeah, my understanding from the people I spoke to was that uh, they believe that uh, Logan Ryan is going to be a Jet in 2020. Uh, and I guess we'll find out, uh, you know, for how much, uh, you know, again, if uh, the GM can seal the deal but uh you know the information is pretty solid the jets think they're going to get him whether they do or not i guess we'll find out soon enough got to figure that the money can't be that much because we know that you talked about them being cash strapped in the past it's a one-year deal we've seen what their other one-year deals have looked like you think it might be something around or maybe a little bit more than what they gave pierre to sear yeah i mean i would i would think uh the logan ryan's a much better player than pierre to I would think that it would be more than that. Uh, I do know that, and as, as everybody else knows, uh, the NFL Network uh, reported that Logan Ryan was looking for $10 million. And Logan Ryan actually did a podcast with the McCourty brothers this week, I believe, in which he came out and said that uh, he was amenable to going back to Tennessee for the amount of money that he made last year, uh, $9.5, $10 million, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, the Titans uh, let him know that that wasn't going to happen. So I guess that's what prompted his uh, farewell to Titans fans on social media last week. And that's what's uh, making him a free agent. Now, what I, what I will say about the, the cash flow restrictions that I've previously reported on, I believe three weeks ago I reported that the Jets had had internal conversations about freeing up more money to sign Logan Ryan. So – uh, you know, it's not necessarily a surprise per se uh, that they believe they're going to sign Logan Ryan because, again, they've been discussing it for quite some time right now. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, I guess there's a couple things that to, you, you can view it as. Uh, one, uh, are they going to get the amount of cash that they need 
to sign him? Uh, that's going to be signed off by ownership, or would they have to make corresponding moves to free up uh, existing money so they're not getting new money necessarily from ownership? They're just uh, you know getting rid of some money that's owed some other players. I, you know, I, I tend to think that uh, they'd be willing to to free up some some additional capital to get Logan Ryan. Um, now he's an interesting player. Obviously a very versatile player, two-time Super Bowl champion with New England, but I think what he offers uh, really makes sense for what the Jets like to do. And a lot of defensive coordinators, but you know, Greg Williams has really made no secret that, uh, that he likes guys who can do multiple jobs and the, you know, the depth chart isn't necessarily indicative of uh, who's up if a player gets hurt. We saw that last year with Williams moving pieces uh, around. So, uh, just conceptually, Logan Ryan would be a, a good fit because he can play in the slot, he can play outside corner, he plays at the line of scrimmage, and if you just took a snapshot of uh, his last season in Tennessee, it was actually his best statistical season, most productive season, with uh, the third most passes defensed, he had four and a half sacks uh, to go along with those 18 passes defensed, he had four picks, he hit the quarterback eight times, he had 100 and some odd tackles, so... Now, he was kind of moved all over the place. Uh, some of the NFL talent evaluators that I've talked to across the league in the past month or so have told me that they think he'll ultimately be a safety. Uh, he's 29 years old. I don't think he'll be used uh, as a safety uh, full-time for the Jets in 2020. I think you'll see him moved all around because uh, he offers such a varied skill set. But he's an interesting piece. You know, Maybe not necessarily uh, a star per se, but uh, if you look at the, the free agency landscape, it's actually surprising that he's still available. You know, it's May, it's May 12th, May 13th, and you would think that a player of his caliber, of his quality, would have been uh, you know, signed in the first week of free agency two months ago, but that didn't happen. So it's an oddity uh, you know, for whatever team, whichever team gets him. Uh, it's probably a really good signing. I mean, obviously, depending on what the money shakes out to be. But uh, my understanding, again, dating back about three weeks or so, was that the Jets had talked internally about freeing up uh, some cash to sign this player. And uh, as of now, uh, you know, I haven't checked in in the last you know, few hours, but uh, certainly as of uh, the morning of May 12th, uh, the Jets believed that he was going to be a, you know, a part of their team in 2020. What about Larry Warford? This is a guy that was unexpectedly available. The wheels were put in motion after the Saints drafted Cesar Ruiz, and the reports afterwards were that there was no intention for Ruiz to sit on the bench, and then Warford, a three-time Pro Bowler, gets released. Certainly the Jets could use him at guard right now. They do have Winters, but he's been banged up a lot. You've got Alex Lewis who comes back, but he's been banged up a ton over his career. Van Roten's been a bit of a journeyman. If they were to cut Winters, the salaries would probably offset because according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Warford is looking for about $7 million a year. Winters is due $7.5 million, so just doing the quick math, you could make it more or less interchangeable. What's the deal there, Manish? It seems like a natural fit for the Jets to go after Larry Warford. We know they want to build up that offensive line. A Pro Bowl guard at 28 years old becomes unexpectedly available. They've got to be in pursuit of him, right? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, because as in the, the you know first and second week of free agency, things are fluid. So 
you know, you don't want to be locked in per se and say the Jets or any team for that matter are definitively going after this free agent or the Jets are definitively out. Uh, you find that out after the fact when you, you get a gauge on what the interaction was. But I, I don't get a sense that uh, that is going to happen. Uh, I think you also obviously have to look at it from the player's perspective. I can't get into Warford's mindset, but uh, he is coming from a, a winning organization. I don't see why the Jets necessarily would be appealing to him unless they're offering you know, clearly the most money, if money is a motivating factor for him. And I can't tell you, to be quite honest, Scott, what, what, what his motivating factor is. I'm just kind of, you know, we're talking about it from the Jet perspective. I'm kind of trying to flip it to the other side as well. I mean, what appeal would the Jets have other than money uh, for a player coming from a winning organization? Uh, you know, maybe he has come out and said he wants to play for a winner or it doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, I don't even know where he's from, so I couldn't tell you if the, the Northeast appeals to him. But uh, I, I don't get a sense that that is going to happen. I know, you know through a Jets prism, when you look at uh, the money that could be freed up by parting ways with Brian Winters and the money reportedly Warford wants, it, it would be a match. But I, I think it's you know, a little bit more complicated than that. I'm not saying it's definitively not going to happen because I don't want to look foolish because I don't definitively know. But uh, you know, the sense I get is that uh, that's uh, that's it's not going to ultimately be a marriage for the player and his team. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
Another report of interest circulating around NFL Network involving the Jets was from Mike Garofalo, who said that Jason Peters, who we've talked about quite a bit, who played for the Eagles for the last bunch of years and was actually still pretty productive when healthy last year. He still wants to play, apparently wants to play into his 40s. He's been in contact with the Jets, the Broncos, the Eagles, and the Browns. Where do the Jets stand on this? Because I know that they paid money to George Fant, and I know that they drafted Mekhi Becton, but Mekhi Becton did play right tackle at Louisville, and George Fant, all due respect to him, has never been a proven full-time starter. And when he did start in Seattle, he was kind of spotty. For the right price, you'd think it would make sense to bring in Peters because he would instantly become the only tackle they have on the roster who's a proven quality starter at the NFL level. And you would think that he would be a really good mentor for the young tackles, both Adoga and Becton. What do you think here? They're in the mix. They've obviously talked to him. If the contract is reasonable in terms of a one-year deal that doesn't cost as much much as we expected, is it a possibility? Well, I'm in agreement with you that it would be the best option from a football perspective because Jason Peters is better than a uh, 38-year-old Jason Peters. You know, assuming he's healthy, uh, is better than uh, what they have. I think he would make a lot of sense uh, as the left tackle in 2020, uh, Becton on the right side, and then obviously move Becton over in uh, in 2021. Uh, there is an obvious link there between Jason Peters and Joe Douglas, uh, and I think I, I think we've discussed this a, a couple times, Scott. Uh, with Peters, my, my concern is: is he going to be able to stay healthy the entire season? And that would factor in to you know, if you were going to make him an offer, how much would you, you know, how much would you offer? You also have to consider what the Jets' financial situation is, because uh, as I again, I know that you and I have discussed ad nauseum, really, this off season, the cap space is secondary to the cash. Cash matters. Cap doesn't really matter, uh, you know, if you are if you have a decent amount of cap space because uh, virtually every team can manip- manipulate the cap a number of different ways to free up space if need be. Uh, so currently, uh, when you factor in Frank Gore's contract, the veteran minimum deal, uh, and you factor in the $10 million or so that the Jets are going to dole out for their 2020 draft class, uh, and then on top of all of that, add the $11 million that the Jets are going to get uh, from the Tremaine Johnson contract as a post-June cut. You're essentially talking about $14 million in uh, salary cap space that the Jets have. Uh, and let's say that uh, they give, I don't know, I don't. Know, let's just say 8 to $10 million as a ballpark for Logan Ryan. That doesn't leave that much space left for Jason Peters. And you can, yes. You know, finagle that to, to create more space, but I don't know how much cash the Jets would be willing to to fork over for uh, Logan Ryan for you know since we're talking about Logan Ryan today and for Jason Peters. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I just I don't see that happening. I don't see both of those guys getting the money that they desire from the Jets. Uh, I I don't. I don't like I said about about the free agent signings in general, uh, you know, you never want to say never, but uh, I think, frankly, it would be a surprise. That's probably the best way to characterize it if the Jets would fork over the cash required for both Jason Peters and Logan Ryan. 
The only thing I will say is the fact that Jason Peters gets hurt a bunch and misses a couple of games a year would actually be mitigated a little bit by the fact that they would now have depth behind him with both Adoga and Fant, so it would make it a little bit more palatable, of course, depending on the price. As far as the amount of money that they're going to have available, how do Josh Bellamy and Quincy Inunua factor into that? Because they both got put on season-ending IR. How does that affect the salary cap? Do they still count fully against the cap for 2020? Now, Bellamy does not count fully against the cap, and I, frankly, don't fully understand why. I think if, uh, God, and I can't remember the term, uh, there's some kind of uh, filing that uh, Bellamy's representatives have to make in order to, I guess, count it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 million. Now, he was only owed, I think it was initially going to be 2 dollars on the cap or something like that, so... Uh, I think he would ultimately count about, and I could be off by a few hundred thousand, but somewhere around a million and a half. Uh, was going to be on the team. Uh, he is still owed $4 million next year. So whatever his cap number was, and I don't remember it offhand, whatever it was prior to him going on the active PUP, uh, I believe that number stays the same. Uh, I don't think there is any, in fact, I know there's no incentive for Quincy to do anything other than to continue to rehab uh, because he is owed $4 million next year. It's for injury. So if he uh, does not pass a physical next year, he would get that $4 million. Now, ultimately, I don't believe that he is going to play for the Jets again. I've been consistent in, in that position. Uh, you know, Frankly, I, I hope that he is healthy to you know, do whatever he wants to do in life. Uh, you know, he's going to make his own decision about whether he's going to play football again. Uh, you know, I, I would... You know, I would tend to think that he would not, uh, but I, I certainly uh, don't believe he's ever going to be a New York Jet again. So uh, in terms of what he counts on the cap, Scott, I, I think whatever it was before, I believe I believe it's just that same number. Uh, and my apologies if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't remember offhand, but I just remember uh, that uh, or just know that he's going to be on the the roster next year, barring you know, some kind of settlement, which I don't quite understand why he would agree to that because he's due the $4 million if he does not pass the physical next year. Jets haven't explored the possibility of an alternate campsite. We're still waiting to see what Governor Murphy says about reopening certain parts of New Jersey over the next couple of days. Once that announcement gets made, if it's not necessarily to the Jets' liking, is it possible that they could look to do some training camp stuff outside of New Jersey? No, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's possible, probable, likely, uh, as long as that, you know the NFL teams are permitted to, to practice because it's, uh, it's, it's all or nothing, right? Uh, I don't think you're going to have a situation where 20, 25 teams are allowed to practice wherever they are, and you know the remaining five to seven are not. It's going to be 32 or none. And yes, the Jets will absolutely explore that. Uh, you know, as of this morning, they had not. Uh, again, just like free agency, this is very fluid. So uh, I would fully anticipate the Jets exploring their possibilities moving forward, much like the Giants have come out and said that they are doing as well. And that's just smart. I think you'd be negligent, frankly, if you didn't uh, explore possible uh, alternate sites, um, whether that means somewhere down south. Uh, I, you know, I, I had some people <laughs> on social media say, how about Cortland? Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the New York laws are, frankly, right now. I know Cortland's in the middle of nowhere, but uh, I, 
it would seem to make sense to go to somewhere down south. Um, and, and you know, the Jets and the Giants are not going to be alone in this. The Eagles are going to fall into that category. The, the Patriots as well. Uh, probably, probably the Skins and the Ravens. You know, all these teams clustered in the Northeast uh, have to, in all likelihood, find a home. Certainly the Giants and the Jets, and uh, I believe Giants, Jets, Patriots, and Eagles at the very least, those four teams, I, I believe would be looking for alternate sites. So, yeah, and look, the Jets are going to be smart about it. I mean, they're not going to put their head in the sand uh, just because they haven't to this point explored alternate sites. Uh, I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's fair or accurate to suggest that they're they're not going to start looking at the other possibilities uh, moving forward. That's you know, it's the common sense thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. Manish, sad note, as Betty Wall Johnson passed away, and you had a really interesting anecdote about her and an oak tree that was on the practice fields. Talk a little bit about Betty Wall Johnson and that oak tree story. Yeah, look, I I met Mrs. Johnson once, uh, so I don't pretend to know her. Uh, And in my brief interaction, she's a very friendly person. Uh, But uh, the story goes, you know, if you had had come out at any point over the last, decade or however long the Atlantic Health Training Facility has been around and watched the jet practice, you notice an oddity in that there is one oak tree, a really beautiful tree. You know, it's a a really beautiful tree that I appreciate because I stand under it a lot during training camp when it's insanely hot in July and August. It's in between two of the practice fields, and it was clearly kept there for a reason. There were trees everywhere. They were all cut down <laughs> except this one tree. And it's between both practice fields. It provides a, you know, a good amount of shade uh, during those hot summer months. And long ago, uh, I, mean, I want to say back in like 2009, 2010, it was a, it was a while ago, uh, I had heard a story about why that tree was there because the obvious question is, well, why didn't you guys just chop this tree down? You know, you, you, there is there isn't any other foliage, you know, outside of the perimeter of the of the facility, except for this thing, which is smack dab, you know, in the middle of this huge uh, field, which was divided into three practice fields, and it it's between practice fields one and two. So I was told that uh, when when Woody was looking at buying the team, Woody and Mrs. Johnson, uh, she liked the tree so much that. You know, I guess one. I, I, you know, I don't think it was official, but the story goes. Uh, you know, one of the conditions was that she loved the tree so much that she told Woody that she didn't ever want to cut it down, and that that was enough, obviously, for her son to uh, to keep the tree up. So, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I actually think about that tree probably every training camp, multiple times. Uh, that story has stuck with me, and so. Uh, when uh, Mrs. Johnson passed at the age of 99, uh, that's the first thing, frankly, that that came to my came to my mind. Very philanthropic woman. I, I had known about some of it. Uh, I learned, uh, you know, a lot more after her passing. Uh, I also learned a lot more about her about her background. But uh, I know that she was very much into the arts, and she goes to the McCarter Theater. Uh, in Princeton, which is uh, a place that I frequent and I have frequented uh, many times over the last decade. So I, I knew about her involvement in that, but uh, just so many other things that she was involved in. Very generous woman and, uh, you know, lived a, a full life. You know, I think we'll, we could all be happy if we can get to 99. And, uh, you know, she did a lot of great things that, 
you know, that really were separate of the Johnson family, uh, just things that uh, she initiated on her own and, uh, you know, a really accomplished life, a really a, f a full life, and uh, certainly, you know, w a person who will be missed uh, inside that organization. Manish, before you run, let's talk real quickly about the Frank Gore signing and how it's going to impact Le'Veon Bell. You wrote about this in the Daily News. We talked at the end of the show last week very briefly about the signing and trying to make a little bit of sense out of it. But you're not a big fan of how this may impact Le'Veon Bell. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think he probably takes up a couple of carries. But to me, this is really a lot more about the optics. And I don't just mean to fans. I mean more the optics to Le'Veon Bell that you're bringing in a Hall of Fame running back here who you know is a favorite of Gase. And he's going to take some of the carries. Plus, you already drafted a kid. So you're sending some messages to Le'Veon Bell here when you should be trying to play nice with him after what happened last year. Don't really love that. If Gore comes in here and gets a couple carries a game, does all right, and helps P. Ryan, it's not the end of the world. But if I was going to do something at running back, it would have been a younger guy with more speed. That said, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I could see why Le'Veon Bell might be scratching his head right now. Yeah, and this is no disrespect to Frank Gore. I have an immense amount of respect for Frank Gore and everything that he has accomplished in his career. Uh, I also believe that he's in a, a great teammate based off of what everybody around the league has said for the better part of a decade and a half. So it's not about that. What struck me as odd, Scott, is what Adam Gase and Joe Douglas, not just Gase, but what both of those guys said after the signing, they really highlighted how great Gore would be for the younger running backs in the room. And Joe Douglas actually went as far as to, to mention you know, P. Ryan and Josh Adams and, and Ken Dixon as well. And frankly, if I'm Le'Veon Bell – a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, 28 years old, uh, before coming to the Jets, arguably the best dual-threat running back in the in the NFL, at the very worst, one of the top three or four running backs in the NFL. If I'm him, and I've accomplished all of that, and I have proven uh, that I can also help young running backs, because if you remember, after uh, Le'Veon signed with the Jets, uh, he shared... Uh, an exchange that he had with James Conner, who became a pro bowler himself, uh, in which Conner praised uh, Le'Veon and, and told him how appreciative he was for all of his help. So if I'm Le'Veon Bell and I hear the head coach and the general manager talk, uh, you know, endlessly, it seems like, and maybe that's an exaggeration, but like, you know, wax poetically, let's put it that way, wax poetically about a 37 year old running back's impact, uh, in the running back room, uh, I would be insulted because if I'm Le'Veon, I'm thinking, well, don't you already have a veteran running back who is a good influence and a leader and a mentor in that room? I mean, what am I? Am I some part-time flunky? You know, so for <laughs> am I some some pedestrian player who can't help other players along in the room? And that's just kind of how it struck me when I read and. Uh, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase's comments. And I understand that they want to praise Gore, but to highlight that specific thing about Gore to me is disrespectful to the player you already have in house. Uh, and, you know, we can, you know, it's a, we can discuss ad nauseum about, you know, how Bell was deployed. Was it the right way? Was it the wrong way? Was it his fault? Was it the offensive line's fault? Was it Adam Gase's fault? And, you know, we, we've talked about that. We can talk about that some more over the next several months. But 
I just thought it was a bad look for the organization uh, to come out and say how how the young running backs will be impacted by Gore's uh, presence. When you have an established running back who has helped out younger uh, running backs in his own right, in his own career. So that to me just – it was just an odd dynamic because I, I think that Le'Veon Bell uh, deserves more respect than that. And uh, and he didn't get it. And to me, that's, you know, that's disappointing. Definitely weird. Plus, to use a roster spot on a guy for mostly that purpose. When, as I said, if you were looking for somebody to give you some productive carries, you should have gotten a younger, faster guy. If you wanted him to come in here and just help the young kid along, probably should have just hired him as the running backs coach because Lord knows that Jim Bob Cooter didn't exactly do the best job of it last year, and it's not really his forte anyway. He's a guy that's known as an offensive coordinator who was the offensive coordinator of a team that could pass but not run. So if they were going to do anything with Frank Gore, that would have made more sense to me than signing him and having him come in here and eat up carries. I agree. Totally agree. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I completely echo everything you just said if you want him to be a mentor bring him on your staff uh but he wants to play and you you had mentioned off the top here scott that you're okay with giving gore a handful of carries you know a few touches here and there uh frank gore wants to play i don't think he he's coming here to to be a two or three carry a guy uh he felt slighted last year in, in buffalo and his usage significantly decreased in the second half of last season he was getting a decent amount of touches in the first half of the season. He was averaging 4.4 yards a carry. All the credit to him in the world for that. But uh, I think about a third of his touches were slashed in the second half of the season. Singletary, their rookie running back, took over. And in the touches that Gore got, he wasn't effective. Uh, you know, around two and a half yards a carry somewhere in that neighborhood. He, he clearly was was not nearly the same back in the second half of last season as he was in the first half for the Bills. Uh, I don't believe that he's coming here to you know, just sit around and get a series or two. I think he's coming here with the uh, intent of getting you know, eight, nine, ten touches a game. And I think that Adam Gase has told him that he will get that many touches. Manish, last order of business, what's going on with the Jets not assigning jersey numbers to their rookies yet? <laughs> I know there are people that want to run out and buy a Mackay Becton yeah, you know, and I, Denzel Mims jerseys. What's going on here? I, I don't – that is a, a really – a good question, and it's not something I typically delve into. But I, you, look, you, you see the Cowboys giving out C.D. Lamb's number. Tua just uh, said, uh, I guess, late last week that he was going to be number one. And uh, you, you cannot order and receive a jersey, uh, like officially licensed jersey, obviously, unless you have the number. And I was told a couple different things. The Jets were waiting on maybe some veterans who wanted to choose a number. Uh, and there's another theory that I'm not exactly sure is true, so I won't share it. But uh, it's strange. The draft you know, had, has come and gone. It's been weeks. It's not particularly taxing, I think, to choose, for players to choose numbers and to make it official so that you can go on NFLshop.com and order you know, a Becton jersey, Sims jersey, you know, uh, Ashton Davis, whoever, you know, whoever you want. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting time in the in the season just because there's nothing happening in terms of OTAs and frankly from a business perspective this is a, a good window of opportunity to generate some revenue uh, you know I, I guess someone from the outside looking in would say well who's going to get a 
a Makai Becton jersey or who wants a, you know, a Mims jersey or Ashton Davis. But, I mean, I think that Jets fans actually do. Uh, and there's a lot of people who love getting jerseys. I've never been one of them. But I think it's a good opportunity, frankly, for the organization to, you know, to get to get some – some money. I mean, for, for lack of a better phrase, just kind of putting it bluntly, it's a good marketing opportunity that I think is missed. I don't quite understand the logic behind not assigning the jerseys. I also quite don't, I don't quite understand the difficulty in doing that. Uh, so and I, it's kind of a head scratcher to me. It's something that popped up in my head last week. And, and it's, it's curious because it's, just, it seems pretty easy and, and perhaps there's something that I'm missing, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't quite get it. Maybe they're still trying to figure out exactly which numbers to assign to the players. That's all I got because I think you're right. I don't really know why they wouldn't release it yet. Good opportunity to make some money right now and even do a goodwill gesture of donating some of the profits from the sales of the jerseys of the new rookie numbers to some of the charities that are trying to help out right now with the relief efforts for the coronavirus. So we'll see how this progresses, but you got to imagine at some point they're going to have those rookie jerseys available for purchase and somebody is going to be the first to get that big number 77 Mackay Becton jersey. Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on. I know we did a shorter show than usual this week because you've got so many things unexpectedly on your plate all of a sudden with all this news going on. So I appreciate you making the time. What are you going to be working on in the Daily News besides the Logan Ryan, Jason Peters, and Larry Warford rumors? Anything else on the horizon for you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I guess but the best answer for that is TBD. TBD, indeed. And if you want to know what TBD actually turns into, make sure that you're reading Manish in the Daily News and following him on Twitter at MMetaNYDN. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. But it helps us out a lot, so if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. Don't forget to subscribe to Badlands yet if you haven't already. It's a subscription-only podcast on Podbean featuring Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers. Fantastic guests, long-form shows, the kind of insight that you're not going to get anywhere else, special nuggets from the draft and free agency that Connor's been giving out that he's been saving for the Badlands feed only. He's got more of them coming up this week. He had some really cool draft tidbits on last week's show. Only place you could get them is on Badlands. Again, you can subscribe over on Podbean, or you can get the link at Jay Caparoso or at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and remember, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.